afternoon, everyone, or good morning or good evening, whatever time it is where you are. This is Dario Linares here, and the co-producer and co-host of New Oral Cultures. Um, this is our episode number three. This is actually an episode that came kind of out of nowhere, really. Anybody who is into podcasting will know there's been quite a lot of discussion recently about BBC Sounds and their decision to withdraw content from from the Google Podcasts app. Now, if you go onto Twitter and you sort of look at some of the reactions to this, it's interesting how it kind of encapsulated a lot of the discussion and debate around where podcasting is going right now, particularly also with the arrival of new podcast networks that are going to be subscription only. This discourse around the notion of a Netflix of podcasts seems to tap into the idea that the industry or the, the medium, because the way that we approach podcasting is not really in, not necessarily industrial, but the medium itself is perhaps moving into a new phase where that kind of cult independent status is actually being subsumed into much more mainstream commercial considerations. And this is a kind of area that I think is really important in terms of analysis of of podcasting from a media, economic and industrial standpoint. Indeed, the last episode that we just released, particularly John and Levin's research into podcasting networks and the, the kind of economic viability of the medium, I think they would be really interested in this. So I got in contact with James Cridland, who is the founder of Pod News, which is a kind of aggregator website of everything that's going on podcasting-wise that he can find ostensibly. And he sends out um, a weekly newsletter. In fact, it could be tw- twice a week, the, the newsletter that he, he sends out. But it's a really important and useful service for those of us who are interested in podcasting generally, but also for the research that we're doing, particularly um, through the book and on the podcast and going forward. He'd written a couple of pieces about this development between BBC and Google. And interestingly, he'd also talked about the ulterior motives that that BBC may have had in terms of trying to um, begin to put its content behind its own walled garden in terms of the BBC Sounds app. And, And... you know, again, anybody who is in the UK will know that that has been a kind of profound branding shift that has take, taken place where the BBC has, has consolidated all its audio output under this banner of, of BBC Sounds. And for me, it just raises questions about the relationship between institutional and independent podcasting and perhaps the, the sense in which podcasting is reaching this moment of maturation where the corporate machines are looking to incorporate podcasting back into their economic frameworks and of course this has you know big implications in many different kinds of ways um, I don't think we're, we're there yet and clearly there's a, there's a big difference between the between the commercial viability of, of podcasting in the United States and everywhere and everywhere else it seems that because of the audience potential in the United States they do have that that advantage I think but it would be a real shame if the kind of independent spirit and ethos of podcasting were to be lost under the drive for economic viability maybe I'm just being a little bit naive and this was always going to be an inevitable thing for the medium but these are some of the things that I touched on with James and are obviously going to be continued to be talked about within the podcasting world and on future episodes of this podcast so let's get into it this is me talking to James Cridland the founder of Pod News.
I'm joined today on New Oral Cultures by James Cridland, who is the founder of the newsletter Pod News and a sage on all things in the podcasting world. James, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. Oh, it's a great pleasure, Dario. Thank you for asking. Obviously, the, the main reason why we got in contact was to discuss what's going on with the, the BBC and uh, Google, this uh, yeah. spat, I suppose, that you could call it. Or, I mean, it, you know, it's more than that. And obviously, if within the podcasting environment, it's a very interesting and could be very consequential development. But maybe you could start by um, telling us a little bit about your history with podcasting. Obviously, you had a big background with radio, but what is your story of your kind of segue into podcasting and how did you come up to decide that you wanted to put the website together yeah absolutely so uh, I mean I was first involved in podcasting way back in January 2005 when the radio station that I was working for Virgin Radio in London the original one um, started being interested in podcasting and we thought, well, podcasting sounds interesting. It might go somewhere, it might not, but we might as well give it a go. Um, and so we put out a, a daily podcast from our breakfast show, uh, which was in January of 2005. And, and, wow. and at that time, there wasn't even, you know, podcasting in uh, Apple iTunes as yet. Uh, sure. Apple came came into it in sort of July or August time. So, um, yeah, so it was quite early. And I've really been, you know, interested and involved with podcasting in a number of different ways. Uh, since and um, really the the thought around podnews.net was to um, was to pull together as much global news as I possibly can around podcasting as really there wasn't anything you know doing that about uh, two or so years ago when I uh, started so yeah so that was the that was the uh, thought there yeah yeah I mean it's it's really been a valuable resource and uh, you know I know podcasters all over the world, it seems, uh, use the service that you provide in, in sort of bringing together news and, uh, of what's going on. Um, I mean, one of the questions that we always sort of talk about as podcasters is the the relationship to to radio. And as you say, you sort of your trajectory into podcasting was through working with Virgin Media. But even back then, working with Virgin, was there a sense that this was the future of what radio would become? Or was it kind of a novelty? And, you know, what what were the sort of download numbers like at, at that very beginning stage? Yeah, well, um, I was trying to remember what the download figures were. And I think <laughs> we were doing 12,000 12, downloads, but I can't tell you whether that was per episode or per right. month or anything. Yeah. So <laughs> can't really tell you uh, much about that, to be honest, because I've forgotten most of it. But mm. um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it was interesting. I went to the first podcasters conference in London in uh, June of uh, 2005. And, and I remember going there and being shouted at by some of the people who were producing podcasts at the time and basically saying you have no right to be in this space this is uh, this is our space you know what's big media doing in there but I think you know I, I came at it from a different point of view and I really came at it as this is audio you make audio in podcasting you make audio in radio and this is just audio using a different platform there's nothing particularly different different to it and you know certainly when I'm uh, talking about radio and talking about where the future of radio is going I always start by uh, clarifying what I mean by radio and radio is at the end of it it's audio with a shared experience and a human connection that's all that radio is and it happens to come through FM or through DAB or through uh, an internet stream or through a podcast it really doesn't matter so I think 
if you look back, you know, clearly um, podcasters needed an enemy because when you have an enemy, you can obviously start shouting and uh, and uh, concentrating your energy against them. But actually, at the end of the day, we're on the same side. We're mm. creating great audio that people really enjoy. And I think that's a great thing. Yeah, I think I, I think maybe for me, the main difference is the way that the technology actually allowed access to distribution and kind of leveled the playing field through which people who didn't have a radio background or didn't, you know, have any connection with, say, in the UK, the BBC or in the US, NPR, and didn't know how to access those kind of gate gatekeepers. And it's interesting that that perhaps is the way in which the, the, the uniqueness of podcasting has developed up until the point of maybe around 2014, 2015, when, you know, this period sort of emerged where, where podcasting kind of crossed over into the mainstream. I mean, I've got sort of various ideas about what, why that occurred at that particular time. But I mean, do you subscribe to the idea that there was this sort of moment that suddenly podcasting became a kind of mainstream thing? Uh, I mean, I, I think you can you can have a good debate around whether podcasting is mainstream yet. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, nine out of 10 people listen to radio every single week uh, in the UK and in many other countries uh, in the US, Australia and many other places. Uh, you look at podcasting and podcasting. Well, you know, 20 percent, 21 percent, if you're lucky, it is a much smaller medium. It, it, it only accounts for around four five percent of the amount of uh, listening time that we spend a week and radio takes more than two-thirds of that time so sure. you could argue i think that podcasting is yet to be mainstream you can also argue on the other side that actually podcasting is tremendously influential now you know so many people enjoy podcasting every single week and actually you know in terms of a valid business you know it's certainly become that so i mean i think i think part of the um part of the driver for that i guess was looking at things like the bbc becoming uh, involved in podcasting uh, putting a lot of very popular content onto podcasting and npr uh, and uh, you know australia's abc and so on and so forth so actually it really helped having named brands in there and you'll know you know if you go into a tesco you recognize most of the brands in there if if you go into an Aldi, you don't. Um, and that's one of the reasons why Tesco is still a very popular place to go and uh, to go and buy stuff. At the end of the day, people need content that they recognize, brands that they understand. And, you know, and that's certainly what podcasting now has. Mm. It's interesting now how we are getting this separation into different networks of podcasting within individual countries. But I mean, obviously, you're based in Australia. And it, it seems to me that one of the things about podcasting is that it does seem to reflect the kind of content that gets produced does seem to reflect the kind of audio culture of the con content that it emerges from. And, and I think that one of the things that that does, it makes it difficult for, particularly in the UK, I think it makes it difficult for UK-based podcasts to break into America, whereas I think it's much easier that for American podcasts to be listened to over here. And I mean, it's funny because I don't think I have, I don't actually have, I'm ashamed to say, an Australian podcast on my list. I'm going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to rectify that so I can, you know, yeah. especially if I want to do some more, more research into it. So what's the podcasting environment like in Australia, perhaps in comparison yeah. to the UK and, well, and, so, and so the US? 
Well, so let me start by uh, giving you a couple to go and uh, and uh, have a listen to. One of them, um, if you're into true crime, as many people are, then Teacher's Pet uh, is one that you should definitely go and uh, find. It's it's interesting in that it's produced by a newspaper. It's produced by the the, the Australian, which I guess is the closest equivalent to the Times. And the the subject uh, of the podcast was actually arrested uh, only a c- couple of months ago and is now facing facing trial for you know something connected with that podcast. Uh, he says, choosing his words carefully. So uh, you know, so I mean, I think that that's an interesting side uh, to it. Um, the other one that, by the way, I would recommend is one from the ABC called The Signal and. The Signal is a really good, quite informal daily news podcast, but it's a daily news podcast in the same vein as the New York Times Daily, except a little bit less sort of stuffy. Um, and, you know, and uh, and I think what certainly when you have a look at some of the research around what Australians want to have listened to, for example, then two thirds of them do not care where their podcasts come from. They can come from Australia, they can come from the UK, from the US, uh, anywhere. But what that also says is that a third of Australians actually want to have listened to Australian content. And I think that's a that's an interesting side to have a look at. And I, what I would suspect is that it's nothing to do with podcasting, the fact that most that most Australian or UK podcasts haven't actually made it in in the US. I think it's more t- to do with Americans as a whole. And actually, you know, they are less interested because of the size of America in world news. You know, I mean, it always used to be a joke that, you know, the world news section on a on a US news broadcast used to be you know two minutes um so you know i mean i think that there is that Uh, but what i'm also seeing is when you start looking at other countries there is a clear correlation i think between um, people who who understand english and speak the language well and the uptake of podcasts in that country. So obviously, podcasting is very large in places like the UK, Australia, but it's also very large in places like Norway or Sweden or Denmark, where they speak English just as well as they do their own language. And I think, you know, again, part of that is due to the amount of content which is actually out there. Um, the real growth right now is actually happening in India, um, where where you're seeing a tremendous growth in the amount of c- consumption. And part of that is due to the low cost of things like mobile phone data. But also part of that is, again, the understanding of the English language there is very good. So, um, yeah, you know, it's really interesting seeing, I think, that. And you compare that with... Germany with uh, France, you know, I mean, only 8% of French adults listened to a podcast in the past week, you know, if you compare that to, you know, 20% or so for for the UK, Mm. um, you know, so again, you can see a real difference there. And I think it is probably just a language thing more than anything else. Sure. Does Australia have the potential or is it at the, uh, the stage of development where monetization is is possible in podcasting whether it's through kind of advertising or patreon because i i always feel that 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 already in america you know that it's an industry whereas in the uk it's very much a kind of adjunct or or offshoot of 
institutions that are already there and making money in in various other ways. Yeah, I mean, I think the UK has a difficulty in that the BBC is there. The BBC has a tremendous share of uh, audio anyway, um, and that makes it very difficult for an independent podcaster to exist in that market in the same way that they might exist in the US market. Um, and, you know, and even in the Australian market as well. So I think, you know, the BBC is both benefiting the industry in terms of educating people what a podcast is, putting lots of podcasts all over the place, but it is also harming the industry undoubtedly in terms of just the amount of content which is actually there. Um, but in terms of in terms of Australia, um, you know, I mean, I think that there's, there's some interesting things going on. Obviously, the ABC is producing uh, podcasts. Um, the ABC is far smaller than uh, the BBC. Um, and so from that regard, you know, it is less of a, you know, of an elephant in the room. You've also got News Corp, um, the big newspapers who are producing a lot of podcasts for themselves. You've got um, outfits like Mamma Mia, which is a big uh, female media uh, outlet here who are very large in this in this space. But what you also have is you have um, companies like uh, Wooshka uh, and the commercial radio companies here who are earning money from podcast advertising by actually selling the podcast ads from other podcasts from outside of uh, of Australia. So, you know, when I'm listening to a, a BBC podcast here, then I'll get an ad for an Australian company at the, the beginning of it. Um, you know, and I think what what the Australian commercial radio companies have have really understood in a way that probably nobody else has across the world is that actually at the end of the day, advertising agencies are buying audio and they will go to an advertising agency and they will say, we've got all of these great podcasts and all of these great radio stations. We have the scale and it's just one buy and the advertising agencies go oh great please yes thank you very much I'll have 10 and that's a big difference in terms of the US and in terms of the UK where it's much much harder you know the only equivalent I guess in the UK is uh, global radio who own DAX which is a you know an online advertising uh, platform but sure. with that exception that's not really happening elsewhere it's interesting as well isn't it because the sort of download numbers is still, I mean, they are there and they are measurable, but they 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 often are kind of inaccurate as well. And, and there's a sense in which the relationship between the advertising and the content is is a question that's always kind of nefarious as well. And people are relating their content often to the star and what they represent. I mean, I listen a lot. I don't know if you've heard of the Blind Boy podcast, and you know he he's got a massive amount of uh, listenership here in the well all across the world. Mm. But it's a really big and popular podcast, and he he's often talked about how advertisers won't go near him because of the he swears a lot on the podcast so it's interesting how that model of the traditional notion of of trying to sell a brand does clash up against the kind of like more free uncensored sensibility of podcasting i would say yeah i mean it, it clashes in in a way um and i think certainly when you're listening to a radio ad in a podcast you really notice that because 
actually podcasts are consumed by so if, if you look at radio 50% of people who listen to the radio are doing so alone if you look at podcasting that figure is 90% so it's um, really obviously a intimate personal thing and if all of a sudden you put somebody who's talking like this who's trying to sell you insurance then all of a sudden it uh, it doesn't really work so i think actually you know it, it is interesting the brands who are using podcasting the best are using podcasting because they understand what podcasting is all about and allowing the hosts, the presenters to read the ad and to talk about the particular product as well. So, you know, I think it's um, it's a learning for the podcast industry, but also a learning for advertisers as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think particular hosts do that. And, you know, that's an art in and of itself, isn't it? You know, Mark Mar- Maron has sort of talked about how... Uh, how he had to learn how to kind of do that and be enthusiastic about um, products that perhaps he, you know, he didn't really care about that too much. Um, yeah, and uh, and you know, I mean, I think uh, there's another one. Um, Conan O'Brien needs a friend, which is a fantastic podcast, not just for the for the interview that Conan O'Brien does, who's a big uh, US uh, late night TV host, of course, but also because of the way that he does his his ad reads, um, and he does them in a very genuine way it's very genuine that sometimes he has no idea what the product is and that's absolutely fine Mm -hmm. you know but I think it's a different and you know much more personal world uh, than a radio ad and I think particularly since the UK law um, has until recently stopped radio presenters actually reading out radio advertisements anyway it just sounds very different to to our ears certainly yeah yeah um so just coming on to the BBC I mean if if we go back you know, almost to the beginnings of podcasting, its its development, the reason it became w- what it became was kind of because of this idiosyncratic infrastructure. You know, here you have Apple, they set up iTunes, which kind of is the, the sort of collectivization of, of the podcast audio, but with no, seemingly no sort of commercial plan as to what that would become at all. And the, the sort of infrastructure has, has more or less been left unchanged since since you know 2005 but now we're getting to the point where there are individual production platforms or or corporations or institutions if we're talking about the bbc that are trying to arguably um put certain types of ring fences or you know garden walls people call them around their particular content and you know maybe this is a trend that isn't hasn't happened yet but it's being talked about if you think about the arrival of uh, the the uh, the company luminary who are talking about subscription mm. um, podcasting and then you've got the spotify buying gimlet and you know you, th- there may be moves in that direction there but this news about the bbc withdrawing content from google podcasting is really interesting in that vein i, ju- I wondered if you could just sort of give us an overview of what's happened there yeah, so, um, and I should clarify, I worked for the BBC once a long, long time ago, <laughs> but I haven't worked there for for, uh, for uh, 10 years. Um, so the BBC has always been very cautious about its brand and very aware that it needs to maintain trust in its audience. And one of the things that the BBC, you know, has always been, I think, a little bit uncomfortable about in terms of podcasting is the fact that they don't have enough 
control really over how their podcasts are displayed in uh, in uh, apps and things. I mean, I run a, a media information w- website, and the BBC was very unhappy that I had logos of their you know stations, um, and they didn't actually have a say on how those logos were actually done. So you can imagine that in terms of podcasting, then there's a, there's a real issue there. Um, what the what the BBC have done is on March the nineteenth they decided that they would pull all of their podcasts away from Google. Now Google has its own podcast app on Android devices. The player itself is is pre-installed into every Android device, although the app actually isn't. And the way that Google works is when you search for a podcast in Google on an Android device. It shows a link to the podcast's website at the top of the screen, but what it also gives you is a couple of play buttons so you can hear the very latest episode, and those play buttons open the Google Podcasts app that you have pre-installed. So it's a really frictionless, nice experience, and it just works. The BBC's concern is that um, they see this as uh, not offering enough choice to the consumer, because they want to be able to uh, also say, well, you know, open this in the BBC Sounds app or open this right. in, you know, all manner of other apps as well. They think it's being filtered um, and, to Google directly rather than filtered to the BBC in preference, yes, as it were. Uh, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, it's, it's a curious conversation because what they're basically saying on one side is we're all for consumer choice and on the other side they're saying, but you should be listening to our <laughs> podcast in, in the BBC Sounds yeah. app. So. You know, it's 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 a difficult conversation, but you know, for, from their point of view, they are um, obviously concerned that for Android users, as the BBC see it, they might uh, just listen to all of their podcasts uh, through the Google Podcast app. Now, uh, with my uh, with my radio uh, consultant's hat on, I would say, well, that's absolutely fine. And the way to combat that is to make your app better than theirs. And to be honest, it's not it's not that difficult with the Google Podcasts app. Um, but you know, e- either e- either here and there. So what the BBC have done is pulled all of their podcasts away from Google. So you can still uh, listen to them on any other app. You can still listen to them, obviously, on uh, Apple, which, by the way, works exactly the same way. Um, but you can't listen on the Google Podcasts app. And, you know, a part of that, they deny it's anything to do with trying to force audiences to go into the BBC Sounds app. But you can obviously see that that may be part of their plan. Another part of their plan is obviously keeping um, control of their of their brand. And, you know, you can you can well understand with a brand as loved as the BBC's brand is, then they need to be very careful of, uh, you know, how they actually use mm. that. But they're also saying, aren't they, that Google isn't providing user data or and, and is refusing to sign a, a, the kind of prerequisite license that the BB requires for the sharing of its content. But you, you've kind of questioned that on your uh, article. Yeah, I mean, you know, so you've got two sides. You've got firstly the requirement to sign a license, which is a... Um, a relatively bogus thing in terms of, you know, you don't need to sign a license to link to content. There's been lots of uh, legal action. There was legal action in the Orkney Islands, goodness knows how many years ago, probably 20 years ago, saying that. Um, and the European Court of Justice or whatever the highest um, bit of the European uh, legal system has recently, you know, <laughs> backed that.
that up as well. So in terms of licenses, well, that's an interesting one. Uh, and you can also obviously point to um, the unwieldiness of expecting 680,000 podcasts, of which there are in the world right now, of expecting a podcast app developer to sign 680,000 slightly different licenses. Clearly, that's not going to work. So you've got that as a, as a sort of a, as a start. You then have the BBC claiming that Google won't share any user data with them. Now, um, Google uh, don't have any user data to share because the only user data that there actually is is the playback of the podcast itself. And the playback of the podcast itself is coming directly from the BBC's servers. So the BBC knows exactly the same as it knows from Apple, by the way. They know uh, all of the information in terms of, you know, the IP address and the, the, the device and everything else. Um, so in terms of Google not actually giving any uh, data, you know, I don't necessarily see that as being, you know, I mean, if Google don't have any more data to actually share, then what what do you do? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so it, it, it's a difficult one. Mm. I mean, you know, you could point at this being, um, being a control issue, um, and that may well be right. You could also point, and, and others have, at this basically being... The BBC trying to test the waters uh, on removing their podcasts from Google so that they can then do that from Apple. And that would be a much bigger deal because Apple itself is uh, 50% of all podcast uh, uh, downloads. But when you look at the Apple infrastructure and the Apple directory that lives under the hood, that actually powers many other podcast apps. Um, some people say 85, 90% yeah. of all podcast apps. So if they pull themselves out of Apple, well, that essentially means that um, you won't be able to listen to any of their podcasts in any podcast app. And the question is whether or not, at the end of the day, that's a good thing. Yeah, um, the BBC I mean, may see, well, you know, you'll you'll just have to download the BBC Sounds app, which, by the way, is only available in the UK. You'll just have to download that. And, um, you know, maybe that's the plan. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting question because clearly the, the BBC Sounds rebranding, you know, from BBC Radio... It's clearly a move to brand their audio in a collective sense that incorporates both radio and, and, and podcasting going forward. And yeah, I think you're, you're exactly right there. If, if they decided to, to remove their content from Apple, that would be a game changer. But I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, you, you, ask, you sort of ask rhetorically there whether you think that this is a, a, a good or a bad thing. Would it not essentially change what podcasting what has made podcasting great is the kind of creative openness and the fact that in a distribution sense like me and my little academic podcast can sit alongside any podcast created by the BBC on first of all on any podcaster software but also you know if it does well on on a chart that could say yeah this has got so many you know this has got so many downloads and you could see various examples of podcasts coming from nowhere to do really well and, and, and rival the big, you know, the big players. Would this not yeah. create a two-tier system 
if we went to a kind of cha- you know channels where you had to subscribe to different different yeah, apps to I get mean, podcasts i mean at the end of the day at the end of the day you know if you had to buy a different radio for every radio station that you listened to then that would be um then that would be insane but we're actually seeing this sort of thing going on in the tv world anyway um you never quite know where the tv show that you want to watch is is it going to be on amazon is it going to be on netflix is it going to be on britbox is it going to be on the iPlayer? Who knows where it's going to be? Um, and I suspect that that's the sort of uh, future that we may see if we are not careful in terms of podcasting as well. From my point of view, that would be a grave mistake because the way that podcasting has worked so far is that it's been this wonderful level playing field where, as you say, anyone can launch a podcast. Um, you don't even need a podcast host. You don't need to be spending money with somebody like that. You can host it for yourself if you're clever enough. So actually, uh, you know, to lose that and to start forcing people to have 5, 10, 15 apps on their phone if they want to listen to great audio would, I think, be a great, uh, you know, a great shame. Um, So I really hope that we don't see that. And I really hope that at the end of the day, the BBC understands what has made podcasting great. But on the other side, you know, you, you have a lot of suits at the BBC, a lot of senior managers who don't understand the world of podcasting, don't understand why it is different and see, uh, you know, the BBC Sounds app as competition to uh, all manner of other apps out there. And if you see the entire world as a competition, then clearly why would you want to give your great content to Apple and to Spotify and to Pandora in the US and so on and so forth? Why not keep it all in your own app for yourself? Mm. Um, And I think, you know, it would be a great mistake if they did that. And and at the end of the day, it's a gamble because, yes, the BBC produces some great content. I only use Google Podcasts. I haven't listened to any BBC content over the last week or so. It's, it's sad that I can't hear the news quiz, particularly when the entire country is falling apart. Um, <laughs> but I can't. Uh, but at the end of the day, I can still get news and information and entertainment from other places. So, you know, at the end of the day, who cares? And maybe that's the concern that as more and more people, more and more younger people in particular, move away from radio, They've already moved away from uh, TV. Uh, If they move away from podcasting as well, then what's the point of a license fee for something Mm. that I don't consume? And that's the wider issue that the the BBC has, is obviously trying to justify that license fee. And there's one really easy way to completely mess all of this up, and that's if nobody consumes any of your content anymore. No, that's absolutely right. And I think it, it the BBC is kind of clashing with its traditional way of way of operating and understanding its position in the world. Obviously, it's got a license fee and it doesn't have to worry about commerciality in the same way as, you know, commercial radio has had to do. But it's no lo- it can no longer act as, as this monolith. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I would completely agree with that. And I think also that, yes, the BBC has a 50% share, uh, uh, more than that, in the UK in terms of radio listening. It doesn't in terms of podcasting already. And certainly when you look on the global scale, the BBC is a tiny bit player. Um, it is nowhere near as large as it arrogantly thinks it is. And that's one of the issues that it's always had. So I think it needs to be very careful as to 
what its choice is going to be as we move forward. Um, because it would be a great mistake um, for the BBC to to uh, firewall itself into into irrelevance, basically. Yeah, I guess I guess we'll see how things develop. And uh, as you say, I mean, it'd be interesting to see how well this uh, new provider Luminary does, which is an odd name for a podcast app, I would suggest. But anyway, and whether it gets any kind of uh, subscription interest over the next uh, year or so and and whether as you say um, the BBC makes any more moves in this in this direction um, James thanks so much for your time is there any I mean you've given us a couple of recommendations uh, already is there anything else that you're addicted to right now that you could let us know about <laughs> podcasting wise um, that is is uh, yeah <laughs> podcasting wise which is always a always a good plan um, first by the way I, w- I would also say yes Luminary is coming but so is a, a, another app called Brew which is doing much the same sort of uh, thing they, they'll be charging a $5 a month uh, fee uh, whereas Luminary, Luminary is I think $8 a month and we still don't actually know whether that's available outside of the US either by the way so, so we've got all of that all, all of that stuff uh, too I mean I think in terms of uh, podcasting and things that I am uh, really enjoying, um, you know, the ABC's uh, signal is great. I love the New York Times' daily as well. Um, some of the quality of reporting, but also just the uh, the atmosphere that you get from that podcast is so very different to the more dry British um, news broadcasting that we've heard for a long, long time. So I'm a real fan of that. Um, and, you, you know, just a real fan of just the the wide variety of podcasts who are out there um you know i mean i think that the amount of voices that we now have access to is so tremendously uh wide in comparison to where we were only five ten years ago um and i think you know just just uh, having a look around for some of the newer podcasts available you know is is always a great plan Absolutely, yeah. New stuff on the rotation is definitely the ethos of listening, I think, for the genuine podcast audience. James, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciated it. It's a great pleasure. Pleasure.